You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. Well, good morning. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here also at Redeemer Georgetown. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. I, I so want the Lord to speak to your heart. I want you to be in the posture of God speak. I'm listening you know, you think about the path of life, and you think, every now and then I think about the first guy that ever did LASIK, and I think, how did he talk you into that? Like, they had to say something like this. This can sound crazy, but we've got a laser, and if you'll hold still, and we're going to clamp this thing into your eye, this is going to work, and it's going to improve your vision. We're going to use this laser, and we're going to cut into your eye, we're going to reshape something inside there, and this can all heal up, and you're going to be fine. You know, the... <laughs> I don't know how they said, well, how many of you done? You know, I'd have to say, well, including this one, because this, you're the first guy ever to do LASIK surgery. Now, I know some of you probably have great insight to this because you've done it or whatever, but I, I find myself thinking that's, I couldn't put myself in that spot, just couldn't do it. I think about those who traveled on the Oregon Trail from East Coast to West Coast Back in the 1800s, and I think, okay, so you're going to take all you own and all your loved ones, you're going to bundle them up in a wagon, and you're going to head out with a guide. And I think the question you'd probably want to ask that guide is, you've done this before, right? This isn't your first trip. I don't want to be your guinea pig. I want to know that you, if you're going to take us through Lots of peril, lots of difficulty. I want to know that you know what you're doing and where you're going. Because lots of things can kill you on the Oregon Trail. Snakes, weather, <laughs> dysentery. I mean, you, there's lots of things that can get you. Native Americans, lots of things can get at you. You may not make it on this 2,200-mile journey. It's going to take many months. Well, friends, I just want you to hear this today. Peter is about to speak to the shepherds of the church. He's about to call them alongside himself, and he's about to speak to them in a very personal way. Now, you may be thinking, well, what's that got to do with me? Like, that sounds like a sermon you should be preaching, you know, just with other pastors. Well, it's definitely a sermon for pastors. There's no question about that. But it's also a sermon to you and for you because you want to know well, what it is that God has provided in the shepherds of the church, who they are and what they should be doing and how you should relate to them, how they should relate to you. Because if you can find a church that is led by godly leaders, biblically qualified leaders, you have found a rare, wonderful, beautiful gift. And it doesn't happen all the time. And so what I want you to do is I want you to just listen well, and let me give you a little bit of a roadmap. In these four verses, we see Peter giving an exhortation to the church leaders. That's verse 1. Verse 2 and 3, we see him showing them what shepherding 101 looks like. He's going to give them some instruction about how to shepherd the flock of God. And then in verse 4, we see him saying that there is a eternal and eternal reward for faithful shepherds. And that's the roadmap we'll be traveling on today through verses 1 through 4. I want to ask God to help me and to help you 
as we listen to his word, because I believe that God is a good and loving father, and in fact, we find out that he is in our lives, that he has given us a chief shepherd named Jesus, and he knows your life. He knows the internal struggles that you're dealing with, and he knows them better than you do. He knows how you arrived at the moment that you're in. He knows what is truly surrounding you in a way that you can't understand, and he also sees the chapter ahead of you. He is a good and loving shepherd, and he wants to speak to you today. The question I have is, do you want to hear his voice? So let's pray and let's ask him that we could hear his voice. Father in heaven, we love you and we praise you. It's so good to gather with the church this morning. It's so good to sing songs where we confess through song what is true about you, what is true about us. And Lord, you know us, you see us, you understand us. God, you understand each individual that is here this morning, what hurts inside of them, what they're ashamed of, what they're afraid of, what they're hoping for, the true hope, not just the thing that they understand, but the true hope underneath that, what they're longing for. So God, would you empower me to preach this morning, and would you empower your people to listen and to hear? And we ask this for the glory of Christ and for our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Let me stop there for a moment and just show you what's happening in verse 1, because what Peter has done, he's already spoken to Christians in general, and then he moves on and he speaks to us as citizens of heaven who are living here on earth, that we're ambassadors and that we are called to be subject to uh, our governing uh, leaders. And then he says, for those of you employed and have overseers as far as, not overseers, but people that you work for, masters that you need to submit to. He speaks to us as employees. He speaks to us as citizens. Then he speaks to us as husbands and wives, as spouses. And he says, listen, you're going to need to follow the ways of God. Even when you don't want to, when it makes no sense to you, when you don't agree with it, you're going to have to follow the ways of God, and you're going to have to live in a broken world. And God is watching, and God is going to speak to you, and he's going to lead you through this. Now he's going to speak specifically to elders. And he says, I also am an elder. Now let me just slow down for a minute because I want you to know that church leadership in the scriptures is not ambiguous. We really don't have to wonder and guess, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to govern ourselves as a local body of believers? Jesus unapologetically claims the role of senior pastor. That's not just lip service for us. That's not just something we go, well, that would sound good if we said that I'm not the senior pastor, Michael's not the senior pastor, Jesus is the senior pastor. Well, we actually believe that. We believe that he is the chief shepherd and that we are under shepherds. And if you don't see that in some of the local settings in some of the churches you've been in, let me just point you to Ephesians 5 where he says, Jesus is the head of the church. 
or Revelation 2 and 3, where Jesus speaks to the local church, and he, without any apology, claims the role of senior pastor. And that's why it's very important for you to understand, I am not the senior pastor. Michael is not the senior pastor. Jesus is. We believe that every local pastor should celebrate with great joy that he is not the senior pastor. He is an under-shepherd. That's Jesus. And then underneath Jesus' leadership are biblically qualified men who lead the church. And when I say biblically qualified, you can just look at Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, and you'll see that he has a criteria for the men who will lead the church. They have to be biblically qualified men who lead the church as pastors, as elders. The words are interchangeable, okay? Underneath that, there are deacons who are also biblically qualified, according to the scriptures, male or female servant leaders who are the people who get things done in the church. They are the leaders of various ministries, whether it be prayer, whether it be hospitality. These are the ones set up, tear down, any of that, uh, looking to, to the needs of the overlooked. The deacons do that. And they're biblically qualified male and female leaders in the church. There's some debate and discussion as to how that all plays out, but that is the biblical model and prescription for church leadership. And that's why Peter speaks very clearly to the elders of the church that are among you. What does he say? I'm a fellow elder not only a a fellow elder, so I'm like you, I'm also an elder, a shepherd, an overseer. I am like you in that spot, and so I speak to you as elders, but also, what does he say? I'm a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed And then he lays the charge, and it's an interesting idea that what Peter says, this idea of I exhort the elders, it means to call alongside. So remember, this is a circular letter, meaning it went to several churches to be circulated. It was going to be read among many churches, and so it's a little bit more generic than, say, 1 Corinthians or Ephesians that were specifically aimed at a church congregation. This one is meant to be read by many congregations, and he says, I want to call alongside me the elders of the church to exhort them because I'm also someone who saw the suffering of Christ and I'm going to partake in the glory that is going to be revealed. So what's Peter saying? He says, currently, I'm an elder like you. That's the now of Peter's statement. The past of his statement is, and I saw Jesus when he suffered. That's the past, and I'm going to partake in the future, the glory that is going to be revealed. So I think that often when Peter says, I saw and witnessed the suffering of Christ, for us, we can imagine what that is. For Peter, he could see it in his mind. He saw them slap Jesus. He saw them spit on Jesus. He saw him nailed to the cross with the crown of thorns on his head. Peter's remembering an actual moment. He saw it all. 
But he also saw something else in in Matthew chapter 7. He saw the mountain of transfiguration when he saw Jesus transformed and glowing and shining. And he says, and I saw the glory, not just the suffering. So I can look at now, I can look back at the past, and I can look forward at the future. And I'm telling you, from this vantage point, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He is speaking as someone who understands an awful lot about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And he's going to call these elders alongside him, and he's going to say this very important thing. I've been where you're at, and I've seen more than you have seen, and I'm going to exhort you in this way. You shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And those are important words. The flock that is among you. Not the flock that you wish was among you, not the future church that you kind of wanted, or the one that you used to pastor, because for me, I've got, this is my third church to pastor now, and I'm not responsible in this moment for Legacy Bible Church in Sherman, Texas. I'm not responsible for uh, the Source Church in Plainfield. Michael's not responsible for Mercy's Door in Mascuda, Illinois. We are responsible right here, right now for you, absolutely Christ says, these people right here in front of you, shepherd them. There can be this weird thing that happens for pastors where they want to become, and I, and I know this because I feel this sometimes, you want to become some kind of dynamic leader, some kind of brilliant businessman, some kind of strategic guy that can think about how to take on culture and take on this and do all of that. And you know what Peter says? Just shepherd the flock that's right here among you. How about your wife, your kids, your, your key people that are right here with you? How about make sure that they're well-connected to the church, not loosely connected to the church, but deeply, fully known and loved and cared for by the shepherds of the church? That's your job, Pastor. So do it well. Don't start looking for some YouTube following out there that God has not called you to. It's here, it's now, it's these people here among you. Shepherd that church. Now, why is this so important for Peter to say this? Peter, at one point on the night that Jesus was betrayed, looked at Jesus and said, not like everybody else, I'll go to death, even prison, uh, to prison, even death for you. Because Jesus had said, you're all going to run away. You're all going to deny me. And Peter's like, not me, not me. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to pull the sword and go to work. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't know your own heart. You don't know who you really are. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Can you picture that with your mind's eye? Sifting of wheat meant taking wheat in a, in a basket, throwing it in the air, The wind carries off the chaff, and then it comes back down. Satan has demanded to do that to you, Peter, to throw you into a place you don't understand and you're not in control. Something's going to break loose of you that was worthless, and then you're going to come back down, and that's what he's going to do to you tonight. Peter didn't know that about himself. And when he denied even knowing Jesus... Because he was afraid, he was ashamed, he was scared that maybe he'd be the next one to suffer like that. He denied that he even knew Jesus. I don't know him. He even, in fact, used cuss words to explain how deeply he was committed to this idea that he doesn't even know that guy. 
And then Jesus in John 21 restores Peter. And here's what he says. Peter, do you love me more than them? Remember what you said? Remember what you said that you love me, you're not like them? Do you love me more than them? And Peter says, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he says, then you tend my flock. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. Feed my flock. If you love me, I don't need your sword. I don't need your talents. I don't need your strength. What, if you love me, then you feed and tend my flock. Third time, do you love me? And he's, he's exasperated. Why do you say this, Lord? You know all things. He says, if you love me, feed my flock. Now, what does Peter say to the under-shepherds along with him? Shepherd the flock. If you love the Lord, shepherd the flock. I know you want to do a hundred things, and in fact, you may, as a congregation at some point, go, man, I wish, I wish that the pastors of our church had this brilliant comedian streak where they could make the whole church laugh when they preached, or maybe you want the pastor of your church to be some great uh, communicator, so dynamic, so good at business. And I'm telling you, what you want most and what I need most is we want for the pastors of this church to be good shepherds. That's it. That's it. You, if I'm good at fundraising, I don't want to be. You want my full attention. You want Michael's full attention deep in the Word of God, deep in prayer, so that we can be shaped by the truth of God's Word and by the heart of God that comes into us as we pray, because prayer is one of these weird things. People that understand prayer at a deep level will tell you it's a complete mystery what prayer even is. You might think, prayer's talking to God, right? Yeah. And something dynamic mysterious and beautiful happens as you carve out time to sit with him and let the light of God's grace shine on your soul and clarify your thoughts and speak truth into you. Somehow he's just changing and conforming your heart and your mind into his heart and mind. And when that happens, you come into the pulpit or into private meetings with a whole different starting place, a whole different perspective about who you are meeting with and why you are meeting with them, and that's called shepherding. And R.C. Sproul said, it is a sad day when the pastor's study becomes the pastor's office. You don't want me, Michael, or any other pastor that you're sitting under to be great at everything else, but lousy at just shepherding you, your heart, your soul. You want them in the middle of a chaotic season in the life of our nation, the life of this world. You want your shepherds deep in prayer, deep in Bible, because that's how they're going to bring about the heart of God to shepherd the flock of God. So Peter says, shepherd the flock that is among you. That's what you're called to. It says also, that's the exhortation, to shepherd the flock among you. But this is how God wants you to do it. Shepherding 101. Listen to these words. Uh, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Let me just stop for a moment and unpack some of these very fundamental things about shepherding. 
God wants the shepherd, the, the protector of his beloved church, to do this not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So I don't know if you've been around many pastors, but I've certainly been around quite a few of them. And, and I, I keep saying pastor and elder. I just want you to know they're interchangeable. Pastor, shepherd, elder, interchangeable. Okay? Uh, he says, I want you to do this. Uh, I want you to exercise oversight. That's where we get this, the original word is episkopos, the Episcopal church, elder, presbytos, where we get the word Presbyterian church, right? He says, I want you to exercise oversight, but not under compulsion. You know, I would even say that this last week, I've been out of my house till 11 o'clock probably three times this week. You, you're going to work weird, irregular hours. It's going to be emotionally expensive for you and for your family. You're not going to get a ton of thank yous. You're going you're gonna to really feel the burden of this. And at times, you can think, this is really hard. But it's so glorious. It's such an honor to be a shepherd in the church of God. But it's hard. And I have been around pastors in the last, uh, these three churches that I've pastored, I've been around elders, and I look into their eyes and I can see it, that what they're thinking is, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this. It's heavy. It is difficult. Any pastor, any elder that is really going to faithfully follow Jesus is going to ex experience spiritual warfare on his marriage and on his kids. They're going to experience uh, a lot of grief and difficulty in the church. Maybe you've heard this. You've never seen a mess until you've seen a church mess. And some of you are like, boy, that's the truth. I've seen a mess. It's hard. And there's times when you kind of have this idea, I'm daydreaming about not being in this role anymore. You know, a lot of guys decided over COVID, I, I'm done. There's got to be another way to make a living. Fellowship Little Rock is a church that's, uh, I've known the leaders of that church for a long time. And one time I went and met with their elder board and just talked to them about how they set up their church and how they govern their church, how they do that. And they talked about, their process of bringing on elders, and they let them serve for three years, and then they rotate them off. And they said that when we bring a guy into candidacy for, to be an elder, we let them know that should God affirm your calling into this, and you're going to take a season where you're going to become a shepherd of Fellowship Little Rock, we just want you to know right now that you're going to need to regulate your travel you're going to need to regulate your vacation. You can certainly go on vacation, but you're going to have to make sure that it lines up first and foremost with the needs of the church and what the church needs at the season that it's in. So you're not just going to travel and be on vacation whenever you want. If you get offered a job promotion, we expect you to turn it down if that job promotion changes anything in the, your availability to be an elder in this church. So if you don't want to do this, tell us now because we're not going to force you to do it. If this is not for you, then just say it. Like, nobody's compelling you. You have to do this. If you don't want to do it, then don't, because this is the highest call 
that God can give a Christian man is to serve as a protector, a shepherd for the bride of his beloved church. And if you don't feel like you want to do that because you'd rather have preference for vacation or random travel, that's okay. We're not telling you you have to do this. But if you do, we expect you to prioritize the health and the well-being of the bride of Christ here because you're being called to something very glorious and a great honor. And it just made such perfect sense to me that if God has given you the honor of serving in that way, then it has to be prioritized. And if you look up and realize, I can't do this anymore, I don't want to do this anymore, you don't have to. Just say it. And I've had to tell at least two elders over the years, I think you should probably step down because I don't think your heart is in this. And I get it. It's hard. It's difficult. It's discouraging it's lonely. It's disorienting. Can we work through those things, or do you just need a break for a short season or a long season? But Peter says, if you're going to serve in this way, it can't be under compulsion, but willingly, because that's how God would have you to do it. And he also says, but not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain. If your thought is, this spot allows me to take money, make money, get rich. And listen, there are plenty. We all know, you could watch TV long enough to find one, that somebody is like, man, I am going to get loaded through this deal because I'm in spiritual authority. And I can claim this, and I can say that, and I can get loaded out of this. I can get rich. Peter says, no, you don't. You're not in that position to take money for yourself because of your spiritual authority. That's not what I've put you there for. I've put you there to shepherd them, to care for them. I think it's important that we even say this because we, we're, we're a very open book. How do we pay pastors in this church? What's our position? What's our stance on that? There's a, uh, many years ago, I, with Acts 29 Network, they had this little spreadsheet where it plugged in based on where you lived in the country, you know, how many years of experience you have, do you have a degree, do you have, what number of kids do you have? And so you add up all these things in a level of points, and then it tells you your range of salary should be X to Y, right? And so the pastors of this church are paid the equivalent of a high school principal or vice principal in this area. So if it costs more to live in New York City, find out what you're close to in range of what a, a principal of a high school gets paid. That's If the church can raise that, that's what we're going to pay them. Now, maybe you can't. Maybe you can't afford that because you just don't have the money. But I want you to know this. Our posture is you need to live in this, in this community. You need to be able to take your wife out on a date and not feel like it's choking you. And then we are going to pay you so that you can live here. Your kids can have braces and all of that, everything else. If we can afford it, we're going to pay you at that level. And so that's kind of how we've done it. That's what we have decided is the right thing to do. And so uh, we feel like this is not a church where you say, well, you know, God will keep you humble and we'll keep you poor. And that's kind of the posture of some churches. We need to keep you poor and humble, Pastor. And I'm like, okay, that's not biblical at all. Not even close. But the other side of that is somebody thinking, man, I'm going to get some perks out of this deal. This is going to be great. God says, no, 
That is not why you're in that spot. Not for shameful gain. You know, there are some who want to be an elder because if they become an elder in their church, it helps them with business connections in the community. You're seen as a leader who can be trusted, and now you can start to work the business deals. I've seen that so much. And Peter says that is absolutely the wrong direction. That is the wrong heart for a shepherd in the church. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those that are in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Not domineering. You ever been around a bully pastor? You know, a lot of pastors are articulate. They have the ability to speak. They're forceful in their words. And Peter says, you know, some of you guys would become bullies, domineering. You'd have the capacity to speak circles around people and persuade in this way. There's a joke among Acts 29 pastors that says, grace works, but guilt works faster. I mean, I could appeal to someone to work in the nursery by, man, God is going to use you for the glory of his uh, son in their lives, and it's going to be awesome. Or I could just say, man... I'm just going to use as much guilt as it takes to get you to sign up for one semester of serving. And, and, and maybe that would work. And maybe I could persuade people to do this, to do that. Maybe I could say, man, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to come down on you. Okay, that, that may work for a short-sighted opportunity to get people to do what you want them to do. And Peter says, no, instead of that, why don't you become an example? Why don't you show them what the work Rest balance looks like, what it looks like to follow Christ. Become an example to the flock. Show them how to repent. I'm convinced that the best thing I can do is show you my need for Jesus. Show you that, as I preach, that I'm not a perfect finished package, but that I'm a man who still needs Jesus, still needs to repent, still needs to ask God for grace and mercy. And if I can do that and show you how to live out faith in Christ, this is an example that you should be able to follow as you look at your elders. We are not perfect men. We are men who are stumbling forward in grace, setting forward an example of what it looks like to say, I'm sorry, or to say, this is what God has revealed to me and why I order my life in a certain way, my marriage in a certain way, my kids. Peter says, that's your role, that you could become an example to the flock. Then he starts to speak about something that I find so beautiful, so wonderful, this picture of Jesus as my favorite term for him in the New Testament, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. See, it's just a beautiful thought that Jesus is our chief shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Well, we just talked about what a shepherd does. So if you, if you just picture an actual shepherd in a field with a with hundred sheep, and that shepherd is watching over these hundred sheep. He knows that within a five-mile radius, there are wolves and lions and predators of all kind out there. There's danger out there. And so he knows about that danger, and he watches over his flock, 
And if you'll notice this, one pastor had made note of this in his commentary, and I thought it was brilliant. No team mascot is ever the lambs, the Georgetown lambs, Georgetown sheep. Like nobody goes, man, yeah, that's a great one. Because sheep are unimpressive animals. They don't have great teeth and claws whereby to attack and kill their food. They eat grass. They're not fast enough to run away. In fact, I was watching this thing the other day. It's called mutton busting. You guys ever heard of that? Put a four-year-old on top of a sheep, you turn that sheep loose, and they got their little helmet on, and they're just riding, you know, for all they're worth. They're mutton busting. They're riding sheep because that's what you put a four-year-old on. He's got a fighting chance against the sheep, right? So when I find myself looking at Jesus as my chief shepherd, you know what that makes me and you? Sheep. Can't tend to ourselves, can't clean ourselves, can't feed ourselves, get distracted. No idea of the harm that could be watching and waiting. You ever seen one of those uh, shows where like a little tiny wildebeest is just gently drinking the water next to a stream? And you know what you're thinking. He's about to become an hors d'oeuvre. You, you know, as he's sitting there just gently drinking that water, you just know that on the show you're watching on Discovery, that that thing that is stirring under the water is about to come and grab him, and he doesn't know it. Friends, I have not met a ton of Christians who looked at the local shepherds, the local elders of the church as God's provision to help them navigate the harms that could be out there, to say, I want to thank God for giving me under shepherds, under Jesus, the chief shepherd, to help me navigate through this completely chaotic time as a new husband, as a new wife, as a new mom, as a new dad, as a single who is wrestling with loneliness, and as somebody who's trying to navigate all the ups and downs of relationships in life. We are under the care of a chief shepherd who has placed under shepherds over you for your good, for your joy, for your life, so that you might be protected and cared for, not loosely connected to the local church, but deeply, intimately connected to the church because your chief shepherd, my chief shepherd, has given us this provision He's given us the local church, and he's given us elders. He's given us biblically qualified people, men who can lead you and keep watch over you. And I just want to boast for a moment about my friend Michael Collins. I know you're going to hate this, but I just want you to know this. When he went in for assessment, he was assessed to be a church planner out of my church in Illinois. He was assessed by men who had been pastors a long time, good friends of mine, Every single one of his assessors said, I would be glad to sit under your pastoral care. If I were not a pastor, I would be happy to have you as my shepherd. That was seasoned pastors who said that. And we're not by any means finished men. We're just men who are leaning on Jesus together. Our chief shepherd is watching over us. And that's a great gift. And what does he say to those elders who are faithful at just 
doing the basic things of shepherding. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, it actually says, when he is made manifest. So picture this. It's the idea that he's always present, but he's going to be made manifest, visible. He was always there, but now you're going to see him. And when that happens, you who have been faithful elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. It actually says the unfading crown that is glory. So I want you to know that Scripture speaks over and over again about at the end of time, when we stand in front of the Lord, every single Christian, your sin already judged. On the cross that day, every sin you committed judged and punished on the cross that day. And so you will not be judged for your sin because that's already happened, but you will be judged for your stewardship. What have you done as a believer in Jesus Christ living on this earth by faith? What have you done with the stewardship of your gift? And there are several crowns. Listen to this. There is an imperishable crown mentioned in 1 Corinthians for a disciplined life. An imperishable crown. There is a crown of rejoicing mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 for evangelism and discipleship. There is a crown of righteousness at the Lord's appearing in 1 Peter chapter, or pardon me, 1 Timothy chapter 4. There's a uh, that's for uh, enduring through difficulties the crown of, uh, yeah, it's the crown of righteousness that is given to those who endure through uh, difficulties, endure through trials. And then there's this crown here in First Peter. So this is the picture. At the end of time, as you're judged for your stewardship, crowns will be handed out. Not physical crowns, something greater than that. Something that is enduring and it is eternal. And as you faithfully serve the Lord in this shadow land, in this time of faith, it seems so small to us, but it brings eternal reward for those who are faithful. And if you've failed, and we all do, that's why we have a Savior. That's why we go to this table every week. We turn to him and say, Father, forgive me. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is righteous. He will forgive you. And he will lead you on into deeper and fuller love for him and faithfulness to him. Our lives should be unexplainable except for the fact that we have eternal hope in Christ. And my prayer is that you will look and that you will pray for us as elders. There are, I counted up, five men that I think in the next season of the church's life, I'm like, man, we've got some very quality men who are going to be great elders someday in this church. Pray God continues to raise up uh, men of God who can shepherd the churches under shepherds and that God would protect us from the discouragement, from the division, from the desire to quit. Pray that God would protect us. And then I encourage you, believer, see the elders of this church is a gift that God wants to give you to keep watch over your souls. They will give an account for how they do that. Let's pray.